All right. It is time for us to begin, so we'll uh, actually pass time. These clocks uh, are not right, which they work in the preacher's favor, so that's always good. Um, all right, we are in Nehemiah chapter 8, um, and this is probably my favorite chapter all uh, within Nehemiah. Um, remember, Ezra and Nehemiah go together, um, and so we're going to be kind of seeing that again today, uh, and, that, and it's just a continuation of of the uh, book of Ezra. When you when you looked at the the uh, books of the Bible in the Hebrew Bible, you actually saw this as Ezra one and Ezra two. It's not until later that this in this English translation of our Bibles we have Ezra and Nehemiah. And, um, and so you're going to see kind of some, some comparisons and some contra, uh, overlap in those two characters and in these two books today, um, when we look at them. And so we've looked at Nehemiah. We looked at how the walls are complete. Okay. How that, um, the walls are done. They, they hung the gates. And of course, uh, they were very smart as we looked at last week, not to open those gates until the sun was rising. I think the, the way the text read was until the sun was hot, meaning that it was on full rise. That way they could see their enemies coming. They could be uh, aware of the things surrounding them. And uh, we talked about how that relates, that we always have to have our guard up, that we don't need to let uh, people in to our gates, uh, so to speak, that would bring in uh, not sound doctrine, not bring in uh, immodest things and those things that God would not approve into those things, so so we got to keep our guard up in that. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, I'm going to just kind of pick up, uh, not where we left off, but I'm just going to kind of review for review's sake. Um, you know, education is vital. And I, and I want you to think about this just for a second, comparing the walls versus education. We, we see it up until chapter 7, these people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. They, they built the wall in 52 days. They, they, they did a lot of good things, but what was lacking? Education. You can have a great structure, but on the inside, what's happening? It's falling apart. Why? Because of a lack of education. I mean, think about Hosea chapter 4 verse number 6. My people were destroyed for a what? Lack of knowledge. And, you, you know, you've probably... Pastor, a lot of congregations today, a lot of a lot of churches. And I'm going to use that term very loosely. Uh, a lot of religious bodies. And what do they have? They have a great structure. They have maybe even nicer buildings than we have. They have all these things. They have, they have they might even have a mind to work. But what are they missing? Proper knowledge and proper education in the scriptures. And they, and they might even know some verses. But what's the problem? They don't have the proper context to those verses. They, they might know these things. They might be fundamentally sound, but they're not looking at it in a whole picture. Let me, let me give you this example. I don't know if I told you this last week. I was supposed to do a study with him, but he canceled with me uh, this morning. Um, his name's Joel. He lives in uh, Australia. And Joel reached out to us at House to House and, and wanted some information. And we got con- conversing with him and found out he was a... Um, Seventh-day Adventist. And something I had not known about the Seventh-day Adventist church is... So I'm going through the green booklet, okay, mind you. So the green booklet, back to the Bible. 
And, it, and I, he's agreeing with everything so far. Even answered every question right concerning the Old and New Testament. Is the, is, the, is the old law nailed to the cross? Yes. I mean, he, he understood that. So then I asked the application question. Are we still under the Ten Commandments? And you know what he said? Yes. And I, and I got really puzzled. I said, hold on now. You just said the Old Testament was nailed to the cross. We're not under that. And this was something I learned, okay, by the study that I'm having to go back and examine. He said that, well, there was three different parts of the Old Testament. Okay, tell me. He said there is the uh, ceremonial law, which con- which contains all the uh, you know feasts. We're going to see one here in a minute: the feast of booths, the new moons, and things like that. It contains all those feasts, Pentecost, all those Old Testament uh, religious days. Okay, he goes that was the ceremonial law. You had the moral law, which is you know thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, the Ten Commandments, and, and the and then you have the, um, I can't remember exactly what he called it, but he called it basically the uh, uh, sanitary law, basically the, the clean, cleansing law, basically, you know, like, you know, what they had, yeah, you know, th- those type things. And he says, the, the ceremonial law is done away with, but the other two are still here. And I said, well, how can you say that one still stands, but the other two, you know, are and so he went to Hebrews chapter 3 and talked about when we enter into this place of rest. And I said, well, I think that's talking about heaven. And, you know, went through all that stuff. And so he had a lot of knowledge. But what was he lacking? Proper knowledge and understanding. And so we can have understanding of something, but you can't have the proper knowledge. I'm going to share with you a quote that Justin Rogers, and I'm sure it's not original with him, but it's who I heard from. And if you've never heard Justin Rogers, he is the, uh, or he's about to become the, uh, Bible Dean at Freed Hardman University, and that is a very great hire for Freed Hardman uh, in their Bible department. If you, I, I, let me just tell you, Justin Rogers might be one of the smartest men I know personally. Um, he knows Greek, he knows Hebrew, he he can just, um, but he can break it down in a way that's so simple. When he gets in the pulpit, you you just, anyways, he was teaching teens, and he says, if you take one thing away from this lesson, this is why I want you to say, he made him repeat it three times. Every text has a context. And, and that's what I was trying to get Joel to understand was in Hebrews 3, it's not talking about the Sabbath. It's talking about heaven. When we get to enter into that place of rest, it's talking about heaven. And so, you know, I, when I read over Hebrews, I mean, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, I think about a lot of religious bodies that have great big structures. They have great big um, monumental things. Just like they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. But what were they missing? They were missing knowledge. They were missing understanding. They were missing the book of the law. Okay? There is is a need for the book to be read. As we're going to see today, there's a need for the book to be used, applied, and understood. So just because there's a great structure, and I'm even going to say this, just because it has Church of Christ on the sign, does not mean that they have the proper knowledge. They don't have a good education. Okay, And so we need to make sure that we are educating our children, our grandchildren, the next generation, because we are one uh, generation away from apostasy. So, you could equate that to the Catholic Church. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> you, let, let, let me, that's a good point. I'm going to use a verse that popped in my mind. Go with me to uh, hold your markers here in Nehemiah. We'll, we'll get there sooner or later. 
Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now sometimes <clears throat> the problem is not education. The problem is stubbornness and not being humble. Okay? And I think I think most people would agree with this. Um, okay, look at look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And this is probably a verse I'm going to be using with Joel when we get more in depth. Uh, in this, uh, but anyways, look at First Timothy chapter four, beginning with verse one. It says, "Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, okay, that's just the Christian age. Okay, go back to Acts chapter two. You can see that some will depart from the faith. Okay, now the faith there is talking about the one faith, the one system of faith, the New Testament system there. Okay, giving heed to de- deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons." speaking lies of hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every good good creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, many times when I read that, what, what denomination do you think pops in my head? The Catholic Church, right? And, and what are they doing? They're bringing in doctrines, the commandments of men. They're, they're, they're having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They are giving in to the doctrines of man. Okay? Now, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Okay? That's kind of easy to remember as far as doctrines, men. Okay? And look at verses 3 through 4. Okay? Very similar text here. He says, for, for time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What does that mean? They will not adhere to the true doctrine of Christ, the faith, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. Okay? So what's the problem? They're going to doctrines of man. Okay? They're... And that's kind of the problem today. People are educated in what? The doctrines of man instead of going back to the Bible and having a good foundation upon the Word of God. Okay, And so that's kind of our introduction for uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Okay, And so when we, when we think about education, there's a lot of people that are smart. Okay, There's a lot of people that know the Bible. But we've got to make sure that it's in its proper context, that we're looking at the Bible as a whole and understanding uh, things in its proper context text. Alright, so um, let's let's look at this in Nehemiah chapter 8. Alright, look at verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man. Let's just stop right there for a second. What do you see there? <clears throat> we, we actually saw this in Ezra chapter 3, that phrase one man. I think it was repeated three times in Ezra chapter 3. What what did we emphasize there in Ezra chapter 3? That was one of my, that's my favorite chapter in, in Ezra. This is my favorite chapter in Nehemiah. What do we emphasize? They were a a unity, right? I mean, if you have a team, okay, what do you have? You want them to work together for the good, right? And what's the old saying? There's no I in team, right? But what do we have? We got to have unity within the congregation. You got to have unity in in our purpose, unity in our work, unity in in everything that we do to go. So we see here in Ezra, in Nehemiah chapter 8, now all the people gathered together as one man. And what does that mean? They, they came together, they were united, and they had that common purpose. Now look at this. In the open square, 
And that was in front of the water gate. And, and they told Ezra. Now, this is where I, I kind of mentioned earlier that these two books are going to overlap. This is the same Ezra that you can read about in the book of Ezra. Just, just for reference and reminder, what was Ezra's job to be, or what was his job there in Ezra chapter 7? He was a scribe, but was he just a scribe? He was a priest. There, there's an adjective, I guess it's an adjective, I teach math for a reason, that describes his, his, his job as a scribe. He wasn't just a scribe, he was a skilled scribe. Meaning that he, he was very good at his job. He was one that made sure he, he, he was a very, he was not just your, your, um, low man on the totem pole. He wasn't a, a novice. Okay. He was one that was, had many years of experience and things like that. So notice what Ezra said. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord God had commanded. Okay. Now, so they bring out the book. Okay, the, the law. Okay, and this is the required text. And this is kind of where we we kind of got to last week, um, looking at this book. So here we see Ezra say this. Now look at verse two. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Now I want you to notice what Ezra did here in verse three. Okay, so the people said, "Bring us the law." Number two, Ezra assembled the people, all that they could hear. And this is when they read it. Now look at verse three. Then he read from it on the open square that was in front of the water grate. Notice this. From morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Think, think about that. From morning until midday. All Ezra did was what? Read the word of God. That's all he did. He did. I mean, he just opened up the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and he just read. And what? And what does the Bible say that the people have? Attentive ears. All those who go ahead and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Okay, these people weren't nodding off. Okay, these people were attentive. They were locked in. They were intrigued. They were interested in hearing what this book had to say. And really, the reason they were intrigued is because they haven't heard the book of the law read in so many years, in a long time. Because of their lack of understanding and their lack of knowledge in this, Ezra is educating them. And how are they? how is he educating them? And just simply reading it. Because they have never heard it read before in, in a very long time. Now, where is the power? In the word, right? And so I think that's what we see here in verses one through three. Is it wasn't Ezra's, you know? I think I think that's one thing that this text points out is it wasn't in Ezra's um, smooth, smooth, suave way of presenting it. Okay, um, and that's okay. It's okay to be an eloquent speaker, right? I mean, we see um, in Acts chapter eighteen. A man named Apollos. And you know what? He was born of Alexandria. You know what one of the characteristics that, that says of, of, uh, of Apollos there in Acts chapter 18? That he was an eloquent man. Now, what does eloquent mean? He was a good speaker. He was a good public speaker in the assembly. Okay, And that's fine. 
But there was something he lacked, and that was knowledge, that was understanding. Okay, and that was the baptism of uh, for the forgiveness of sins under the New Testament because he was still teaching baptism of John, which was done away with at the cross. That was leading up to uh, the, the coming of the new law. But anyways, uh, but all he did was read because that's where the power is. The power is not in the preacher. The power is in the Word of God. Romans 1 and verse number 16 uh, we, we, we know that verse talking about the powers in the gospel. Okay, it's for Jew and Gentile. It's for everybody. It's for all people for all time. Okay, and we need the Word of God, uh, too. And I mentioned these, these very, very quickly last week. Uh, only this book can, number one, order our steps. Okay, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 119 verse 105. It is the only book that can make us alive. Psalms 119, 154. It is the only one that can set us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. Okay? And what's, what's the understanding there? You shall know, which means understanding. And once you know it and you obey it, it's going to set you free from sin, under that, that bondage of sin. Okay? Um, it, it prepares us for judgment. We can see in Revelation chapter 20, in verse number 21, that the books will be open, and we, we see there that the books is plural. Um, and I think there that the reason that it's plural is because the book of life is going to be open, those names that have been written there. But there's going to be a second book that's going to be open, and that is the Bible. Because why? It's going to be our rule book, right? When we stand before a judge in the courtroom, what happens? They open up the Bible. The, the Bible. They open up the, the rule book, right? They open up the book the law of the land, to see what penalty you broke, right? And Jesus is going to do that before us when we stand before him in judgment as well. Uh, John 12, verse number 48, the words which I have spoken, that which will judge you in the last day. So we understand we got to know this book to be, be prepared for judgment. It is to build us up and give us inheritance. Acts chapter 20, and verse 32, it thoroughly furnishes us to every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it saves our souls. And so... When we look at this, I want to talk about three things very quickly as well as this, as we look at making the application from Nehemiah. Okay. It's one thing to look at Nehemiah, but we have to understand Romans, uh, tells us that the things that are written before time are written for our learning. Well, what can we learn about these people? Number three, it was easy to read. Okay. It was easy to read. What, what did, what did Ezra do? He just got up and read the Word of God, and the people were attentive, and they understood it. The Bible is an easy book to comprehend. And I, I touched on this last week, that there's some topics that are harder than others. There's, there's some books that are harder than others. The book of Revelation is not an easy one to grasp, okay? It's one you've got to have a lot of Old Testament hi, uh, history and knowledge of understanding and symbolic language to, to comprehend. But the book of Acts, is it easy to comprehend? Yeah, it tells us God's plan of salvation. It sees You can see people obedient to the gospel in that book. So it's easy to understand. Where you read, you can understand. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 4. Okay, Number 2, it is filled with examples. Okay, And we're reading about an example here as far as education. right? Romans 15, 4, the things that were written before time were written for our learning. Okay, That through those things we can have hope and comfort of the scriptures. Okay, but when you look at the Old Testament and even the New Testament, it's filled with examples. 
When you go to Hebrews chapter 11, what do you see? The Hall of Fame of Faith. And what, and what is that? Example after example after example. And, and, you know, in that Hall of Fame of Faith, we see their good example, right? We see what? By faith, Noah, Bill Nart, being warned, divinely warned of the things that were to come. But, what else did Noah do? Preach. He was a preacher of righteousness. But, what happened after the flood? He became drunk, he sinned, and so on. But what do we see? That he's still in that hall of fame of faith. Just because you mess up, you can still be considered faithful in your eyes if you're willing to repent, confess any wrongdoings, and follow after God. So we can see, see those examples of true demonstration of repentance. And I think you can go through all of Hebrews chapter 11 and look at what? Their mess-ups. Their things that they did wrong. I mean, every one of them, right? I mean, you, look, you think about David. But what is David known for? Having a man after God's own heart. Right? And so what do we see? That's an example for us to follow after. We're going to struggle with things. We're going, we're going to have issues with different uh, things. But we got to be faithful to God. we got to put away those things. Turn aside from our, 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 our wrong things. And follow after God. And it is complete with reviews. Um, inspired writers often brought important matters to the, the importance of the readers. For example, Jude wrote, I therefore put in your remembrance... Uh, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people, put out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And so, so we understand that it is complete with reviews. It's complete reviews because of repetition. Okay, Repetition is what? Key. For number one, remembrance. But number two, showing that it is important for us to follow after. So sadly, too many times in congregations... They're using every book but the Bible. They have traded it in for doctrines of Christ, um, for doctrines of man, and they make sure that we are not, let's make sure we're not making that same uh, mistake today. Too many times, uh, congregations, you know, use other sources instead of the Bible to teach out of. And that's, that's one reason I, I like teaching just straight from the book of the Bible. Um, we're going, we've been looking at, we looked at Ezra. Now we're looking at Nehemiah. On Wednesday nights we're looking at Matthew. So we're we're looking at a lot of textual things. And I like that because this is to be our guide and to be our source of encouragement. And there's nothing wrong with a topical study. There's nothing wrong with having a book to use as a guide to help you, you know, reference things and and uh, study things. But always let the Bible be your guide and let it be our our um, source, our um, our required text. For our studies, okay. All right, so, looking looking now also at verses one through three. Second thing that we can see is a respected teacher. Okay, number one, they had a required text, and that was the law, the, the word of God, the Moses mosaical law that we've seen. But number two, we see a respected teacher. Now, this is something uh, this congregation uh, probably needs to reflect upon. And think about as y'all are in the process of hiring a preacher and looking at different different men to to fill this pulpit on a full time basis. But just because they have the right text, it's also important to have the right teacher to have uh, the the right person to guide you in, in instructing the word of God. And we look here in, in the book of Nehemiah and we see that they had a respected teacher. They had a great teacher to follow after, 
and that was Ezra the scribe. Okay, so let's look at some things that we can look at from Ezra and apply to our own life as well. All right, so number one, he prepared himself. He prepared himself. Ezra seven and verse ten. Hold your marker here. Go back one book. Okay, the book of Ezra, and go to Ezra seven and verse ten. We looked at this, uh, but but this this verse is going to kind of help us uh, look at Ezra in a better context here in Nehemiah chapter eight. Ezra seven, and looking at verse ten, it says, "For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the the law of the Lord and to do it." And it teaches statues and ordinances in Israel. Okay? So there's, there's two things I want to point out here as we, before we get to our points. For Ezra had prepared his heart. Okay? That's his attitude. Before we look and study the Word of God, we gotta have the right attitude. We gotta have an open heart. We gotta have an open mind. We gotta have our full allegiance and focus upon our studies. Okay? So that's the attitude to seek and to do it, and to teach the ordinances in Israel. And that's the application. Okay, and that is, okay, I now know this, so what am I going to in turn do? Go teach it to others. Okay, that's the Second Timothy 2 and 2 principle. What, where there it says that able men will be able to teach others also. And what is that? You, you, the next generation that knows it teaches the next generation. Okay, and, and that's what we see here, that he taught the Word of God. He, number one, had the right attitude, but number, but also he had the right uh, application in going and teaching others. So, number one, the first point in our in our text here is he prepared himself. He prepared himself to teach others also. Okay, secondly, he studied his lesson. Okay, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He did not stand in front of the... Uh, People fumbling around, but he was ready to to speak and to say those things that were there. Okay, and many times we could say that uh, the the pages, the the um, the wear and tear on his Bible was used, right? Because why? He used it. He he knew the Word of God. He he studied his lesson. He knew the Word of God. He knew how to rightly handle the Word of Truth. Second Timothy two. In verse 15, we need to make sure that we are studying our lessons. He set the right example. It's one thing to get up and preach, but it's another another thing to what? Apply it and to have people follow after you. And that's the application that I talked about there going back to Ezra 7 and verse number 10. We need to make sure we are living what we preach so that others can follow after us. I mean, that, that's one thing I think Paul emphasized in his writings. Okay? First uh, Corinthians 11 and verse 1, what do you say? Imitate me, but what do you say? As I imitate Christ. Okay, so you have Christ as our example. Paul's saying, I am following Christ, and I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, and that's that's what we need to do. We need to be imitating, imitating Christ so others can follow after us, but as we follow the Word of God and being living epistles known and seen by all men, as the book of Second Corinthians says. He followed the text. Um, we can see there in verse number three, as we look at verse number five, um, he stayed with the book. There, as we read verse three again, it says, Then he read from it the open square, verse five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Okay? And so we see there that, that he, he followed the text, he stayed to it. Uh, first Peter four and verse number eleven, a, a, a verse that probably, uh, 
any member of the Church of Christ should know, and it's kind of our motto, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And, and what we say there is what? We speak when the Bible speaks, and we're silent where the Bible is silent. And that's what we need to do to follow the right text, to follow the right Bible. And he explained his lesson as we're going to look at as this text unfolds, looking at it, okay? All right, so look, let's look at verse 4. As we look, We've looked at two things. We looked at the text, and we looked at the teacher, okay? But, but there's a lot here that we can apply as far as looking at their culture, looking at some things that, that have changed. Okay, so look, look at verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which he had made for the purpose. And beside him in his right hand, and you can see there a lot of different men that stood beside him. So what, what has happened is basically he's in the pulpit, okay? Um, and, you know, here the pulpit is elevated so everybody can see you. And that's kind of the purpose of this pulpit, of this, this stand, okay? He's standing up on it. So that everybody can see him and he can project his voice so everybody can hear it. Um, one, one thing that uh, I remember from the Bible Museum, if you ever go to Washington, D.C., you know, everybody gets fascinated with the you know, Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, all these different cool things. There's a cool museum called the Bible Museum. Okay, now, obviously, you got to watch out for some stuff. Uh, but they have some of the coolest artifacts and things. And some of them are old-timey, you know, I'm preachers. I'm using that term loosely as well. Pulpits. And the way that they did it back in the 1800s was they basically had a platform. And it had a little ladder on it. And it was about this high. And it was just a little box. And they stood in that box and preached out. Okay, and that's kind of what I have pictured here um, from verse number 4. That, he, that there was a platform of wood which he had made. And he, he did that. Okay. So look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, <clears throat> let's make a comparison. When we're, when we're in church, what, what do we get to sit in? Padded pews, you know, all these things. But what did they do in verse number 5? All the people stood up when he began reading it. And why is that? To show respect. To show, you know, when we, when we play the national anthem, most people, the people that have respect for it, do what? Stand up. Why? Because it is that sign of respect. We stand there, hold our heart, hand over our heart to give allegiance to it, to show respect to it, and to say that, hey, we, we're, we're Americans and we're proud, proud to be Americans, right? And so here, all the people stood up, okay. And um, I've been I've been um, at different events when the speaker, um, one of them is a I haven't seen him in years. Hopefully, I get to see him in a few weeks uh, down in Valdosta at a youth youth conference. Uh, yes, weekend it's Bill Davis and Bill. I remember one time he made everybody stand up. At the beginning of his lesson, he read the text that he was preaching from. Then he let everybody sit down and he preached it. Okay, but why was that? So everybody's mind was focused. Everybody's mind was attentive to what he was reading. Now, did they just stand for one little section of the Bible to read? No. Okay, they read, as he read it, they all stood up. Okay, and they were standing. Um, all the people stood up. And so I... You know, if you look back up to verse number three, they were 
they were reading it from morning until midday. So they were reading uh, for quite some time, uh, looking, uh, standing, listening to the Word of God read and explained. Okay, All right, look at verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Now, what does the word Amen mean? Agree, right? So, I think the literal translation means, so be it. Okay, so what, what were they saying when they said, Amen, Amen? I agree, I agree. What you're, what you're saying is right, what you're, what you're preaching is right, Amen, right? And that's why when we pray, we close it out with Amen, and some of the men will say what? Amen, in agreement with, hey, that prayer is a great... Uh, Request before God. So here we see the agreeance of the message. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord God with their faces to the ground. Okay. Um, so again, verse 7, also Jeshua, Bani, Sebariah, Jamin, and, and you see several other names listed there. They helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So now... You see these people helping them to understand it, to apply it, and, and, and understand it. Yes? Well, I was just thinking about the fact that there could very likely chance that none of these people had heard the law before yeah. because of the amount of time that, of the captivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's been several, several years yeah. since they returned from the captivity. The generation that had even heard the law before this time, not even the ones who obeyed it, but even heard it, were probably all dead and gone. Yeah, so they're, they're needing explaining, they're needing that broke down, you know. Um, and so that's what you see here happening is, is these people have questions, and they're, I'm sure their questions are explained to them. What does that mean when it says uh, he, Ezra blessed the Lord? Does that mean he had a prayer? Or? Um, verse, verse 6. Verse 6. I, you know, I, I would probably imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Supported the Lord. Pray. I think that it's just a sign of, you know, here here they are trying to worship God. You know, and the worship is is our kissing towards literally the idea of parneo is to kiss towards God, and it's hey, all these things are towards God and and to be accepted in His sight. So they're they're praising the Lord. They're doing all these things to give adoration to him, to give him respect. And I think that's kind of what that means there. And Ezra blessed the Lord. Like, you know, that their worship, you know, many times we pray, uh, let our worship be acceptable in your sight. Let it be a blessing in your sight. And I think that's kind of the same same way as we can see that in verse 6. And it also says that they lifted up their hands. That, and we are strictly against that today. Um. What, what's the text? Is it First Timothy? Uh, lifting up uh, holy hands. Um, you know, I I think there's some. They, they bowed their heads, lifted yeah. up their hands. Right, and and that could be some kind of Old Testament form of worship. You know, um, we see it repeated in the New Testament, lifting up holy hands. Um, you know, I think I think we just need to make sure that our inward being, as far as worship. Is not becoming more outward, and you know, as far as like um, bringing attention to ourselves, you know, because worship is about praising Him and not about ourselves. And I, sometimes, you know, raising hands and uh, those types of things, 
lead to distractions of others' worship, bringing attention to you. You see what I'm saying? And, um, you know, that's kind of the outer. I think there, lifting up holy hands could be symbolic in the New Testament. You know, talk about lifting up praises and adoration to God. Um, but, yeah, that's, I think there in the Old Testament, that's the Old Testament form of worship. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about, it being distracted and, and bringing attention to yourself instead of, you know. But if everybody's doing it, nobody pays attention. Right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you you've got to have some emotion and some feeling. Uh, and and I don't say that you should be a holy brother or anything like that. Right. But uh, you know you do have feelings. Yeah. And uh, and it is a distraction for everybody to raise their hands and everything. But but I, I think that they stress that so much that we 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 seem like sort of like. I, I would agree. I feel um, I feel like sometimes, it, and I, I hate to say it like this, but if the denominational world does it, we might not want to do it. You know, I'll just use this example: calling a gospel meeting a revival, right? Was was denominational world call it a revival? Well, we can't call it a revival, you know, because we got to call it a gospel meeting. If we call it a revival, we're going to be too much like denominations, and that's yeah. that's where we got to be careful of. Hey. There's some things the denominational world has right because it's biblical and it's backed up with Scripture, right? I mean, go, go back, go to, to emphasize your point even more, um, John 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Which part do you think we emphasize more in the Church of Christ? Truth. The truth aspect. Truth, yeah. But which one did He balance it with? Spirit. And what is that talking about? Our attitude, making sure our mind's focused, making sure... Our emotion is that I think the, that worshiping in spirit and in truth, the spirit is our attitude and our emotions. Yeah, and I, I've said this in a sermon before. Um, if, if we don't have the right attitude, the right spirit part in our worship, then we might as well have a piano because God said we got to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we can't just have the truth right. We can't just have the spirit right. We got to have both of them to be acceptable, acceptable and pleasing to God. So, um, yeah, we. We can't just go through the motions. We can't just say, you know, all right, we're going to sing this song. We got to think about the words of the song. We got to reflect upon what they mean. Um, we got to uh, know what they mean. We got to sing with the spirit. We got to sing with the understanding. And you know, there has to be some emotion in worship. Um, you know, we're taking the Lord's supper. We got to have the right emotions. We we just don't take it to take it. We got to reflect upon the cross, and that should drive our emotions. You know, it should. Make us feel guilty for our sins. It should, um, and all those different types of things. We sing the song "Praise the Lord." Yeah, and 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 we're singing like we're at a funeral. That is very true. Yes, sir, Mr. Charles.
you know, that, and the song leader does have a great influence over the singing. I've, I've heard, you know, you've probably been to singings before. You know, one song is led very good. It, you know, the, everybody, the crowd's singing out because the song leader's singing out, and then the next person gets up, and the song leader's real quiet. How does this crowd sing out? And they slow, dragging out, right? And, you, and there's, you know, the difference in the leader having an effect in the worship. So, absolutely. So. Very good point. Yes, ma'am. David didn't dance in church. Yeah. He didn't dance in church. And yeah. another thing, when somebody obeys the gospel, the angels in heaven rejoice. Right. When the eunuch was baptized, he went away and rejoicing. rejoicing. What was he doing? How did how did they know to write down that he was rejoicing? Yeah. If we have somebody baptized, I guarantee you. Yep. I, I've had that. I've had that same. I don't remember what I was teaching on, but I've made that same point um, in Latin America on my different missionary journeys uh, that I've been on. It is a different atmosphere when somebody's baptized. It is a true state of rejoicing. They don't clap, okay? And I'm not promoting that. Maybe that's what I was. What I was teaching on was you know clapping in the assembly and and, and things like that. And I, I was not promoting that at all. But what, what does the Bible say? If you're happy, let them sing, right? James chapter 5. And as soon as, I mean, when we had a baptism in Latin America, it, as soon as the person comes up out of the water, the person's singing. There's not that awkward, quiet silence. You know, maybe a few amens, but you know, after a baptism in the United States, somebody comes up out of the water and it's that awkward silence. Nobody's going to clap, maybe a couple amens. But I mean, it, as soon as that person comes up out of the water, ready me to I mean, it's just, I mean, it's rejoicing that after the, after, they'll sing all four verses of the Red and Meadow Free, okay? I've been redeemed, okay? Where I have decided to follow Jesus. They make it relatable to the baptism, okay? And then they have a prayer, and then everybody hugs them, right? It's, it's a sign of rejoicing. Whereas here, it's, you know, this, they come out, they sit on the front pew, we have a prayer, and then we come hug them, Okay? And so it's it's a different culture, yes, but it, I think they have the spirit, the the attitude right. So absolutely, I think. And I and I've at River Bend, I've tried to change that. I've I, I've told the song leader, I said, hey, as soon as they come up out of the water, sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. I said, everyone, everybody knows you don't have to have a book for it, you know. Or I've been washed in the blood, or um, you know something. Um. Um. But. You know, it's a definitely a different. And it, you know, you want them to remember this because this is the best decision they ever made in their life, and everybody's, you know, sitting there. So, yes, sir. The preacher activity while he's in the pulpit, other than just a stoic, concrete individual saying something, makes a lot of difference. Yeah. You know, I think I think it goes back to that that point from John four twenty four. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. You know, if they're not passionate about what they're saying, they're not um, convicting about what they're they're doing. Then it's you know, like I said, it, it's nice when the preacher's eloquent, and most of the time when they're eloquent, it's showing their passion. They're showing their zeal uh, for God. You know, there's some some people. I mean, some people are. It's harder for them to get up and speak 
Okay, I appreciate their willingness to get up and speak because they're, maybe it's one of their biggest fears just to speak, okay? But uh, we got to be passionate about what we're speaking and saying, so. That's uh, probably the difference between a polyp and a poop. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, we'll stop there because we're, we're at a pretty good stopping place. We'll pick up next week. We're going to notice their reception, okay? We're, so we looked at the required text. That's the Bible. We looked at the... A respected teacher that was Ezra. Next week we're going to notice their reception. We we noticed a little bit about their reception uh, this morning, talking about you know raising up holy hands and things like that. Uh, but next week we'll look more at the reception. I know we didn't get very far, but we had some very good discussion. Appreciate your participation this morning. Uh, but we'll look at their reception. Notice how we can receive the word of God as well. Um, and I think uh, I think I, yeah, I preached this sermon here on the emotions of man. And how that people are going to receive the word of God differently. Some are going to receive it with joy and go away rejoicing. Some are going to be sad. Some are going to mock based upon when we teach. So um, there's different receptions to the word of God. Here they received it gladly and did it. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day. Thankful for all your many blessings. We pray that uh, this study of it, uh, Nehemiah, and as we've concluded Ezra, that it will be beneficial in our lives, that we can study from them and apply those examples to our lives so that we can be accept- acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We pray that now as we enter here in a moment into this worship hour, that everything we'll do will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We'll worship you in spirit and in truth. We're thankful for this day. It's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.